You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He's made us holy by the sacrifice of himself, his shed blood, and now he's working practically in our lives to mold us into his image. In the days of the Old Testament, the people had to sacrifice a perfect animal to pay for their sins. This was a constant thing. No one animal could take care of everything for all time, so the people had to keep coming back to the altar. But today, Pastor Danny's going to share the amazing news that now, since Jesus came on the scene, there has been an all-encompassing sacrifice. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, became the ultimate sacrifice to cover all of our sin forever. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 7. Of course, Hebrews is a contrast study from the Old Covenant, the covenant of law received by Moses, mediated by angels. Contrast from that covenant of law and the new covenant instituted uh, by Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross, his shed blood, his death, burial, his resurrection. And it's quite a contrast. But understand, the name of the book gets its name Hebrews because it's written primarily to a Jewish audience. And uh, you can only try to imagine as a Jew being under the law of Moses and all the regulations that went with it for hundreds of years. And now to be reading this and to hear about Jesus and the new covenant and the old covenant now being obsolete, it's fulfilled its purpose. And now the old covenant is no longer valid. And now you have a whole new covenant. And that's what Hebrews is all about, a comparison, a contrast between these two covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant of grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so very quickly, Hebrews chapter 1 opened, and the writer by the Holy Spirit quotes seven Old Testament passages proving that Jesus, as the mediator of the new covenant, the sole mediator of the new covenant, is greater than the angels who mediated the old covenant. Seven Old Testament passages. Then before long, you get to chapter 3, and uh, the writer declares, of course, that Jesus is greater than Moses. And then you get, after that, Jesus being presented as our great high priest. They would have known Aaron and the descendants of Aaron as being the high priest. And there were some 83 of them from Aaron to the destruction of the second temple in AD 70. And now Jesus is 
the great high priest. And you were not introduced to, but you had already been introduced to Melchizedek. Because Christ is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You found in chapter 5, verse 6, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Designated, verse 10, to be by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6, the last part, verses 13 and following, as he's presented as greater than Abraham now, because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek being that mysterious figure that met Abraham after the victory over the kings that had captured his nephew Lot, and just outside of Jerusalem, Melchizedek meets him, bringing out bread and wine. That's significant. He's king of Salem, which is king of peace. He's king of righteousness, but he's also priest. And as Ryan pointed out last week from the first part of Hebrews 7, you couldn't have both under the old covenant. You couldn't be a priest and a king. You're either a priest or a king. And a king couldn't function as a priest, and a priest couldn't function as a king in the old covenant. But Jesus, bringing in a totally new covenant, is both king and priest in the order of Melchizedek. And that comes from Psalm 110, verse 4. David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, prophesies that Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, without beginning of days or end of life. Now, Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. Every honest Jew recognizes that. And Psalm 110, verse 4, is a prophecy about the Messiah. But did you know Psalm 110, verse 1, is also a prophecy about the Messiah? Now, without turning to it, we're going to get to Hebrews 7, but this is kind of building up to what we're going to read here. In my reading of the Gospel of Mark, which I'm in right now, in Mark chapter 12, after they've asked Jesus question after question, trying to trap him in his words, now he turns, and of course they never could trap him, now he turns and he begins to ask questions. And here's one of the questions he asked. Mark chapter 12, verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and here he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord, David says, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the whole point of Jesus' question has to do with Messiah, who verse 4 of Psalm 110 will tell us he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, but verse 1 tells us as a descendant of David, and David being Israel's favorite king, that this Messiah who would come is also a king. He's a Lord, and he's greater than King David, because David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, he's greater than David. He's after the order of Melchizedek, verse 4. A priest who is a king. A king who is a priest. Now, why all this about Melchizedek? Because Melchizedek, Christ, the new covenant, he has to be greater than the angels, greater than Moses, 
greater than Abraham. And now in this section, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the writer of Hebrews is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the king priest, is greater than Aaron or any of the old covenant priests. He's greater as a priest than any of them. Now, if you were a Jew and for years lived under the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Covenant, that's a lot to swallow. But if you don't swallow it, you miss peace with God, you miss real relationship with God, you miss salvation, you just got religion. Chapter 7, verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Excellent question. Because the Levitical priesthood was temporary. It served its purpose if we'll recognize it. But now everything about that old covenant and all the regulations, including the system of offerings and sacrifices and being represented by a priest, it's over with. And now a superior priest has come on the scene. Jesus the Christ, the king priest, the priest king. Now, verse 1 Stay here just for a minute. Put a marker there, but just turn the page. Just hold your finger there. Turn the page, Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read a very simple and going ahead answer to that question. Verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And there he's specifically going beyond the daily sacrifices and the sacrifices required at the different feasts required under the law. But once a year under the law was the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when your representative, your high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and he would come back out and he would say, okay, it's done for another year. This day of Yom Kippur was to cover anything we might have missed throughout the year and all the other sacrifices being offered. But even that one sacrifice, the high priest would never come out, back out from the Holy of Holies and say, hey, by the way, God says, come on in. Why? Because that sacrifice wasn't sufficient. That sacrifice would never open the way for either the high priest then or the one he represented to go into the presence of God and live in the presence of God. The worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder. Verse 4, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. 
It is written about me in the scroll. That's the Old Testament writings. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. But none of them were sufficient. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Praise the Lord. A couple more verses. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He's made us holy by the sacrifice of himself, his shed blood, and now he's working practically in our lives to mold us into his image. That's the new covenant. Back to chapter 7, verse 12. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Now, I can't spend a lot of time on each one of these things, but what's the change of the law? Well, it's not a change in the moral law. God's moral law will always exist. You understand that? It's a change in all the ceremonial law, all the sacrifices, all the festivals, all the, and all the things you would do to try to please God and try to come near to God, but none of them would really bring you to where you wanted to go. So what's the new law? You can write down a couple of scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. Just pin it down. 1 Corinthians 9, 21, Paul says, I'm not under the law of Moses, but I'm under Christ's law. What's Christ's law? Write down this scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here's what it says. Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and by doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me give you one more. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, nothing has to do with the law and anything that has to do with that. What counts, the only thing that counts, is faith expressing itself through love. Here's the law of Christ. It's love. Love God and love others. That's it. Love God, love others. Verse 13. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. Judah. But the Bible did prophesy about one who would come from the line of Judah. Let me give you a couple other scriptures. Turn to it if you like, or just note it down. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is about to go to his reward, and he's prophetically speaking about his children, his sons. And it's interesting what the Holy Spirit moves Jacob to say about one particular son, his son Judah. Verse 10, Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes 
to whom it belongs, one from Judah, and the obedience of the nations is his. He's going to rule the nations, one who will come from the line of Judah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, some of you, when I mention that passage, it rings a bell, and it rings a bell because you know that's the prophecy about where Messiah would be born. But that's not all it says. Not only did it tell us the place of his birth, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He'll be a ruler over Israel. He'll also rule the nations. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, or literally the Hebrew is from eternity. He will be an eternal one coming through the loins and the lineage of the tribe of Judah. That's the royal line. That's the kingly line. He's the king, priest, Jesus. Back in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15. This is good stuff, man. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you're a priest forever. In the order of Melchizedek, there it is again, without beginning of days, eternal, without end of life, an eternal one who would come, who will be priest, who will be king, who will be Messiah, Jesus the Christ. You're a priest forever. Now, let me read from somebody much smarter than me that knows Greek and Hebrew, because there are a couple of words especially there in verse 15 about Jesus and about this priest that John MacArthur just brings to light as only John MacArthur can. The word appears is, and I don't know how you say it, it's present middle indicative. Just listen up. And it comes from another word, and it gives this word, which is similar, which means to arise. And it's translated here, appears. Anything in the middle voice is reflexive. You say, you still not got me going here. Okay, listen. That means to arise by itself. Here's the point. No ironic priest could ever use that middle voice. He would appear, arise, by virtue of his mother and father, not by himself. In other words, the ironic priest would have to say, I'm a priest not by myself, but because I've inherited the right. But Jesus can say, I just arose a priest without beginning of days or end of life by my very being, by who I am, not who I'm descended from. I'm a priest. Wow. It's the same word used in Acts 2.32, which speaks of Jesus' resurrection. Remember, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the power not only to lay it down, I have the power to raise it up again. That's the word. That's cool. He gave his life. He died, and then he raised from the dead so that we might have life. 
eternal life. Ooh, ooh, I'm getting Jesus mumps. First service, I got Jesus mumps. That's cool. The other word translated, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, and the word appears, that's what we just looked at, but John MacArthur brings out the Greek word for another because there's more than one Greek word for another. One word is a loss, and it means another of the same kind. The second word is heteros, and it means another of a different kind. Simple illustration would be you want to trade your car in. Let's say you got a Chevy. Uh, let's say you got a Suburban like mine. God bless you when you go to the gas tank. And you want to trade it in for a different Suburban. That's a loss. That's a, another of the same kind. But if you want to trade it in for a heteros, you want to make a heteros trade, you trade it in for like a Ferrari. Just an illustration. Never going to happen in this life. That's a heteros. And that's the word used. If another priest like Melchizedek, another priest, in other words, not a loss, kind of similar to the other ones, no, one of a totally different kind. Like Melchizedek, without beginning of days or end of life, a king priest, an eternal priest, an eternal king. Verse 18, the former regulation to set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. We draw near to God. I don't know if you can appreciate that statement. There's only one way to draw near to God. Did you know that? The Bible makes it absolutely clear. There's only one way to draw near to God. It's through Jesus Christ by his sacrifice and his shed blood. That's the only way to draw near to God. There's no other way. You say that's narrow-minded. Absolutely. And thank God he made it narrow. If you're directionally challenged like me, you're happy that the Bible makes it clear that it's narrow. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to life. What does that mean? God doesn't want everybody to be saved? No, he wants all people to be saved. But narrow is the road. Not only because few are those who choose that path, but listen, some people don't want to believe it's the narrow road. Because the narrow road, that's narrow-minded, isn't it? Aren't there different roads that lead to God? No, the Bible says there's one road. It's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his shed blood. And only as I personally receive him as Lord and Savior is he able to lead me, lead me into the presence of the Father. Ephesians 2.18, we all, Jew and Gentile, have access by the Spirit to the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus, Ephesians 2.18. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There are not many roads that lead to God. There's only one, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, if you just know about him, if you've never received him as Lord and Savior, you die in your sin, hell. You got hell to pay, literally. But you don't have to go. You don't have to. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he rose again, that we might be forgiven, and not just forgiven, but we might have life, life abundant, and life eternal. That's his life. That's why he came. Boy, if you don't know him today, hey, don't leave here without making the most important, eternal decision of your life. 
The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to discontinue their reliance on the law. Jesus came to fulfill not only the prophecies of a Savior, but also the law itself. He perfectly lived out every word of it, never wavering, and always showing love and kindness. Jesus then became the sacrificial lamb, the one who would die in your place, so you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. His blood paid the price. All you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. We want to pray for you and be available to answer any questions you might have. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad that you tuned in today to The Living Word. If you live in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you too. Come by Calvary Chapel Fellowship on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship the Lord and learn from His Word with us. Be sure to stop Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. You'll find more information and directions at ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, you can still be a part of our virtual congregation. Join our live stream at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more from this study in the book of Hebrews, right here on The Living Word.